therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run. Let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, those are some of the most famous words in the entire book of Hebrews. If you grew up in church or if you've been around church for quite some time, you might even have those verses memorized. The Christian life, we're told here, is a race that we are to run, and running requires some good shoes. So actually, I brought some of my favorite shoes with me today, and uh, I have to tell you, I think shoes is a good metaphor because in the words of the great philosopher Forrest Gump, you can tell a lot about a person from their shoes. Thank you for those of you that got that in this service. My question for you today is, what shoes do you wear? What shoes do you wear? Some of you out there are flip-flop people, okay? It's getting to be summertime. You want to go to the beach. You want to get a good pair of flip-flops. These are rainbow sandals, some of my favorites. They form fit to your, your foot. It's amazing. But flip-flops, I got to tell you, as comfortable as they may be, are not really great for running. Have you ever tried to run in flip-flops? Yeah, it doesn't work out so well. They fly off your foot, and you might twist your ankle, so let's put those down there. Some of you out there might be fans of high heels, okay? Man, these are just the high heels. They are stylish, and just to be clear, these are my wife's shoes. <laughs> High heels are just wonderful, but have you ever tried to run in high heels? Okay, you're more likely to break your ankles, so just be careful. Stylish, but not good for running. Others of you out there might really be into wearing boots. Okay, in the words of Jessica Simpson, boots are made for walking, not for running. Or maybe you can go and dance in these. They're, they're also pretty stylish. So boots, not great for running, good for walking. If you want to run, here's the reality. You need a good pair of running shoes. Now, over the years, I've owned different pairs of running shoes. I've owned all kinds of different brands. I had actually kept a number of them. These were the last pair of Nikes that I owned. They got worn in. I'm not a huge fan of Nikes. They're like, you know, they, they I don't know, they squeeze your feet. I don't, I don't like them very much. Sorry for Nike fans out there. But that's a good pair of running shoes for some of you. Others of you might like the brand Asics. Okay, I've worn some Asics shoes. I wore, these ones got worn down pretty good. There's a lot of miles in these shoes right here. Currently, though, I got to tell you, currently, I am a big fan, I just discovered these recently, of the Brooks shoes. I don't know if there's any Brooks fans out there, but if you're looking for a good pair of running shoes, the Brooks Revolution right here, it is like running on pillows. Like, just give it a try. They are amazing, and these shoes have taken me pretty far already. If you want to run, you need a good pair of running shoes. Now, 
Here's the thing about running shoes. They say something about you. All of these shoes up here have been used. I've walked miles in these shoes. They've all been worn in. These shoes have taken me places, and you've gone places in the shoes that you have worn. In each of these shoes, there's miles of life experience. These shoes, at least the ones that I've worn up here, have taken me to people's homes. They've taken me on vacations. I've been to cities in different states in these shoes. I've exercised in these shoes. You can tell a lot about a person from their shoes. Why? Because they tell the story of the race each of us has run. There's life experience in these shoes. Now, Hebrews 12.1 tells us again that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it, it gets at a question that, that we all ask ourselves at one point in time. And if you're a Christian, you phrase the question this way, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? So many of us go through life asking this question, and what it is is it's a question of purpose. All of us, whether you're a Christian or not, listening right now or listening later on, have an innate desire to know what your purpose is on this earth. It's the reason Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold millions upon millions of copies, because people are obsessed with the question, what is my purpose? What is the meaning of my life? What's God's will for my life? Or, in the words of Hebrews 12... What is the race I am supposed to run? What is the race that is set before me? Now, at the end of our service today, we're going to celebrate our high school and college graduates. The question of purpose is especially prominent during this season of life, because after high school, as you go to college or to the workforce, it's natural, again, to ask this question, what is God's will for me? What is my purpose? In other words, where will my shoes take me? But it doesn't stop at high school and college, right? As you get older, maybe as you get into middle age, this question resurfaces. As the responsibilities mount, you may start to ask again, what is my purpose? And as you get even older, as your career is done, as retirement starts to set in, you might start to ask yourself, do I have purpose anymore? Right? You, you, you see, the question of purpose and God's will doesn't go away as you get older. It's a question that we revisit in different seasons of our life over and over again, we ask, what is God's desire for this season of my life, for this length of my race? Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, continues with themes that we've discussed over the last few weeks. And we could, we could focus on all different kinds of themes in these verses, but I want to hone in just today on that idea of purpose. How do we discover God's will, his purpose for our lives? As we run the race, what will our shoes say about the miles that we've run? I think these verses lay out three pretty clear directives for finding God's purpose in life, and I'm just going to lay them out this way. The first is we have to stay inside the lines. Second, we have to focus our gaze. And third, we have to take the cure. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that in just a second. But before we do that, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, thank you for my friends that are here today. Thank you for those that are watching online. Thank you for those that are here and we're going to celebrate their graduation, the transition into a new season of life, Lord God. I pray that you will go before us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, and that we would pursue you with all that we are. May this message, may these words of the scriptures just encourage us and push us forward towards that end. We pray all that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, so first, 
If you want to know God's purpose for your life, you need to stay inside the lines as you run. Okay, so let's start again. Let's look back at Hebrews 12.1. What does the author write? He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, you notice that word therefore is there again. It shows up in this section, and that means the author is linking these first few verses to the chapter that preceded us. And if you've been following along in our series, if you were here last week, you know Pastor Dave beautifully and brilliantly walked us through Hebrews chapter 12, and we learned two things last week. We learned first, we learned the definition of biblical faith, right? And then secondly, we learned about the demonstration of biblical faith. In fact, most of Hebrews 11 was about showing examples of people who have run the race of faith before us. Now, I want us to focus on the last section of this verse. In fact, we're going to work our way backwards through this one verse very intentionally here because the author is laying out the purpose at the end. He's saying that each of us are to run with endurance, meaning that we're to keep going, that we're not to stop. We're to run this very specific race. In fact, the ESV here says the race is set before us, The NIV says the race is marked out for us. In other words, there's some guardrails, and you need to stay inside those lines. Now listen closely here, because each individual believer has a duty to run their race. While there are all kinds of personal nuances to this path, we'll get to that in a second, there are these guardrails, as I just mentioned, that are common to all believers if you want to grow in your faith. Stay inside the lines. What are those lines? Well, you have to recognize that the race is long. The Greek word for race here points specifically to a a foot race. It's not a short sprint where speed is important. It is a long, long, long race where endurance is necessary to pass the finish line. In other words, if you're trying to run the marathon like it's a sprint, you're not going to get very far, right? If you're a marathon runner out there, you know. You can't exert all your energy right away. If you want to stay inside the lines and finish the race, the author gives us three exhortations. To start, he starts by pointing out two dangers we have to avoid. The first danger is that we have to avoid temptation. We have to avoid temptation. Now, the phrase in verse 1 that says, the sin which clings so closely refers to entanglement. In other words, this is not a sin we're thinking about. This is a sin that has infiltrated our lives. Now, contextually, it could be argued that this is the sin of faithlessness, but I think there is a larger warning here that the author is getting at, and they're saying that sin can easily take us off the rails. And when we go off the rails, we're going to go outside the lines, and we're going to miss God's purposes for us. How do you avoid temptation? Well, if I put it positively, what you have to do is replace those temptations with something better, with scripture reading and prayer and relationships that point you towards Christ. Now, this is especially true as you enter into college. So I have a number of friends who work in college ministry, and one of the things I hear over and over again about college campus ministry is that the most crucial week for incoming college students is the first week. Do you know why that is? Because this is the week when relationships are formed, when fraternities and sororities are pledged, when students get themselves on a certain foundation and they can start on a poor footing. So those relationships that you form could be there for you the entire 
time you're in college, and it could lead to temptations of sex and alcohol and, you know, partying and all those other things that can derail the life of a believer during their college years. So instead of using our shoes to go the places that God wants us to go, we, it, they can take us outside the lines as well. These distractions can keep us from running the race marked out for us. And so the author of Hebrews says, resist sin, avoid temptation. But the author speaks about a second danger in this verse, and that is to lose excess weight. To lose excess weight. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about poundage on your body. This is referring to anything that hinders your spiritual progress, even things that are not clearly sin. They may be good things, but they distract us from running the race that God has for us. So, for example, we live in an entertainment culture nowadays where you have all kinds of streaming platforms that can take up a bunch of your time, video games, social media streaks. I mean, this could even be certain friendships or career ambitions. It's not that these things are bad, but they may be an excess weight that slow us down and they pull us to the right, taking us outside the lines. Now, did you know that in the first century AD, when runners would come and run a race in a stadium, they would run almost completely naked? Yes, can you imagine going to a stadium and watching a bunch of people running naked? I mean, what would happen is they would enter into the arena wearing these long, flowing, colorful robes at the start of the race. At the start of the race, the runners would then discard those robes and they, 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 so that they wouldn't hinder them. Now, just to be clear, the moral of the story here is not that you should go running naked through your college campus, okay? <laughs> Rather, each of us should assess which things in our lives are keeping us from running hard after Jesus. That's what the author is saying here. Now, finally, after offering those two warnings, don't miss the exhortation the author gives. He says, get a cheering section. Get a cheering section. So back at the first part of verse 1, the author is saying that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the word cloud refers to this great host of people, and it makes sense that he's referring to everyone who he just spoke about in chapter 11. These are the people of faith who have gone before us, who have witnessed to the faith in their lives, who offer us an example. As we look to their lives, they're, they're like mentors to us, teaching us how to live and endure in the Christian life. So if you want to know God's purpose for your life, you've got to stay inside the lines. You have to run the race that he has marked out for you. You have to let your shoes take you the place he's calling you to. But you only discover that when you avoid temptation, when you lose excess weight, and you look to the example of your cheering section. That's verse 1 in a nutshell. Now, how does that practically look in your life? Well, some of you will appreciate this. I'll give you an illustration. When I was younger, GPS had not been invented yet, right? It had not come down and touched the earth and your phone. You could just put an address in your phone and it would take you wherever you need to go. Wasn't the case when I was younger. And so my mom, every time we would go to a place we hadn't been before, would pull out one of those physical maps, you know, look like this, and she would actually mark out the route that we needed to go. And some of the maps you had, to, it was weird. You had to like go to page A7 and this, and you had to figure out where you were going, so they lined up. It was, it was hard. It wasn't the easiest thing. So I know if you're younger, this doesn't make sense to you, but that's what you had to do back in the day. Now, these physical maps didn't have landmarks. And so what my mom would do is my mom would mark the landmarks that would help us navigate the route that we were going as we were trying to get to the end point. 
But here's the thing. Here's the thing I, I thought about this week. We didn't, because there wasn't these landmarks on the maps, we didn't know where the landmarks were until we went on the route the first time. Right? You had to go on the route to know exactly where the landmarks were, and then you could go back and mark them on the map. Now, I have a friend whose name is Ryan, and he gave me one time the best explanation I've ever heard about finding God's will for your life. And this is what he said. This is, this is mind-blowing mind to me at the time. He said, the way you know God's will for your life is first, you seek after Jesus above all else. You follow the commands he's laid down in Scripture, and then what do you do? Then you look back over the course of your life, and you see all the ways that he directed you through. That's how you know God's will for your life. Amen. In other words, you have, to, you have to follow the map on the route that Jesus has clearly laid out for you, and then you can look back and see the landmarks. Now, when people are trying to find God's will in their life today, when I hear them talk, we're so focused on the details of the future, but the Bible doesn't give us all the specifics ahead of time, right? The Bible just says you've got to avoid sin, you've got to remove anything that keeps you from pursuing Jesus, and when you do, then specific landmarks will pop up. They're going to come into view. Now, what does that look like? Well, this is where the specifics come for each of us that we don't always know ahead of time. I'm going to give you four categories that's, that flesh out our individual callings. And the first reality is that each of us has, a pla has, has places to go. Yes, Dr. Seuss had it right. Each of us has places to go. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And as we run the race of the Christian life, God will call us to a location. Okay, so if you're, if you're a college student, it might be a certain college, or you're called to live in a certain city or in a specific neighborhood. If you're going off to college this fall, that is part of your race. That is a landmark on the race God is setting before you. And while you're there, avoid sin, lose that excess spiritual weight, and point people to Jesus. Now, secondly, along with this, when you go to those places, each of us will have people we will influence. We will have people we will influence. See, when God calls us to a location, there will be people there, and you often don't know who those people are ahead of time. Often you're surprised about the people that you meet when you get there. But if you are in close proximity to them, God has put you in that location for a reason. Look for ways to influence people for the gospel. How do you do that? I'll give you three quick, easy steps. Number one, if you want to influence people for the gospel, you got to talk to them. Right? Too many of us don't influence people because we don't talk to them. Second, you got to listen to them. How can you influence somebody if you don't know where they're coming from? And then third, you got to be honest with them. So talk to them, listen to them, be honest with them. How hard is that? Well, I know sometimes it can feel harder than it is. But if you want to influence someone for Jesus, you have to bring them up. Third, each of us has things to do. Each of us in this room has different gifts. Some of us in here are great business people, or we will be great business people, or great communicators, or teachers, or medical professionals. Some of us will have families to care for and careers to prepare for. Part of the race is stewarding our giftings well. And then finally, and this is the hardest part, each of us along this route will have challenges we will face. Each of us will have challenges we will face. This is the most difficult landmark. On the race marked out for us, yes, we will stop at certain locations. Yes, we will meet certain people. Yes, we will have things to do. But God will also allow certain challenges in our lives on this race. And in those moments, he still calls us to avoid sin, to lose excess weight, and to press in and trust Jesus. And when we do, 
we can receive the same encouragement that Jesus gave the church at Thyatira in Revelation 2. What did he say? He said, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. The Hebrews 12.1 tells us each that we're running a race, that our shoes are taking us someplace. What do our shoes say about our lives? Our calling is to stay within the, in the lines, and when we do, God may reveal more specifically his purposes for us. But that gets us to a second component of finding our purpose, and that is this. We have to focus our gaze. We have to focus our gaze. Now, I don't have to tell you that we are living in, a, in, in an increasingly complex and confusing world. It's easy to get pulled outside the lines. What are college students facing today? Well, there are challenges of technology. In fact, I'm hearing in the news now, we're talking about UFOs, surveillance systems, cancel culture on social media. There's challenges of morality, right? People are calling good evil and evil good. How do you, how do you navigate your way through that? There's challenges of truth. I mean, after all, isn't the cultural narrative that everyone can have their own truth? Well, if everyone can have their own truth, how do you know what's actually true? Right? How do you stay within the lines and endure? Verse 2 tells us right away. It says, look to Jesus. You got to look to Jesus. Now, other translations say we should fix our eyes on Jesus, and that's probably one that you, you might know. The word look or fix is a compound Greek word that means to have a focused attention. Amen. And this means that we should look away from everything else and focus our attention on an, our gaze on an object or a person. So if you want to run the race marked out for you, don't miss this. If you want to truly find and live out your purpose in life, what we're called to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen. And when you do, your faith will be strengthened. Why? Why will your faith be strengthened? Well, do you know why we so often miss the things God has for us on this race? We get distracted. Our gaze is constantly and consistently pulled away from Jesus. Do you feel that? I mean, I do. I worry about bills. I worry about health. I worry about the future. Things can get overwhelming. But we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Why? Look at the next verse, or the next phrase. It says, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say he's the pioneer or the author of our faith, which, which I think is a stronger translation. The Greek word here for author is the word archegos. Jesus is the archegos of our faith, which, which can be translated as champion. Did you hear that? Jesus is our champion. And no matter what comes our way on the race, we have a champion who's right there beside us, our archegos. Why would we focus our attention anywhere else? Now, in this phrase, we learn two crucial truths about Jesus that reveal our purpose in life. First, we learn that Jesus is the source of our faith. And when we take our eye, put our eyes on him, take our eyes off of him, we are missing power in our lives. Now, too often, we place our faith in other things like money or youth or our abilities. And when we do that, we miss out on the power source. If you want to know your purpose, you have to know where you came from. Now, secondly, Jesus is the model for our faith. In other words, Jesus shows us how to live. 
If you want to know your purpose in life, the author says simply be like Jesus. Yes, all the witnesses in Hebrews showed us about faith, but they are shadows of the one who was better. That's why right here, Jesus is the climax of Hebrews 11. Jesus is the author, the pioneer, the champion, the perfecter of our faith, and he's purchased salvation for us. Look at the next clause. It says, why did he do this? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Do you want to know what your purpose in life is? Focus your gaze on Jesus, who is both the model and the source of our faith, but more than that, he's the one who saved us, who paid the price for our sin on the cross so you and I could be right with God. How did he do that? He ran the race that was set before him, right? There's that word, set before again. He did it with joy. Look at what it says. It was set before him just like our race. God the Father had a plan for his son to go to the cross. Now imagine if he didn't run his race and accomplish his purpose. The phrase endured the cross. This is actually the only overt reference to the cross in the entire book of Hebrews, if you can believe that. Jesus trusted perfectly in the plan of God the Father. In fact, commentator F.F. Bruce says it this way. It says, It was sheer faith in God, unsupported by any visible evidence, that carried him through the taunting, the scourging, the crucifying, and the, the more bitter agony of rejection, desertion, and dereliction. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? When he went to the cross, what happened? It says he despised the shame. He despised its shame. Now, that's an odd phrase. What does that mean? Well, the, the New Living Translation is, I think, helpful here. It actually translated it, translate this, translates this as he disregarded the shame of the cross. Now, to disregard something means he paid no attention to it. He ignored it. In other words, Jesus knew the shame of the cross... He ignored it, and to be crucified in the ancient world was the most humiliating, shameful ordeal you could go through. You were stripped naked, you were beaten near death, and you were nailed to a wooden cross as people watched you die. And it says here that shame did not deter Jesus. Now, we live in an age where public shaming is commonplace. It just happens digitally nowadays. Right, every day I hear about people's lives being ruined because they posted something online. And if you're, a, if you're a college student today, you have to be careful. Or you're going to be subject to mockery or ostracism or some employer 10 years down the road is going to find a post you made in high school. The other day I saw an article that Tim Keller wrote entitled The Fading of Forgiveness, Tracing the Disappearance of the Thing We Need Most. And he actually captioned this and said, this is the most important thing for the church in the coming years. Why is nobody talking about it? He went on to point out that people today are offended by forgiveness. It's anathema in our world of cancel culture. Why? Because the world tells us that people need to be publicly shamed for their transgressions. Have you seen videos of mobs of people simply shouting the word, shame, shame, at people simply because maybe they disagreed with them? And that's sad. It's, it's dehumanizing. But friends, what Hebrews 12 tells us is that forgiveness is more powerful than shame. Don't let it fade away. Shame lacerates people's hearts. Forgiveness heals wounds. 
Shame obscures purpose and meaning. It takes us outside the lines. Forgiveness breathes life into people. So don't miss this. Jesus Christ defeated shame on the cross. He took on the cancel culture Twitter mob of his day and decimated them, and now forgiveness reigns through Jesus. He ran his race so that we could have the freedom to run ours. That's the gospel. And now, what does it say? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At the right hand of the throne of God, he is interceding for us. He is pleading for us. He is offering life everlasting, freedom, purpose, all the things we long for. Reach out your hand and receive his grace. So if you want to discover purpose, yes, you have to stay inside the lines. But more importantly, you have to focus your gaze on Jesus. And when you do that, you're never going to hit the rumble strip. When the storms of life come, you got to look to him. Look to the cross and remember what he did for us. So ask yourself today, what captures your gaze? And how often are our eyes pulled away from Jesus and his forgiving, freeing power on the cross? Because if you're a graduating student today, here's the reality. When you go to college or when you start out in the workforce, there are going to be competitors for your gaze. Right? Relationships are going to tug at your heart. Career ambitions are going to steer you a certain way. It's going to be tempting to fix your eyes on those competitors rather than Jesus, but until you look to him, you will not find the deep purpose you are looking and longing for. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the church at Philippi. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a verse of purpose. Amen. If you want to find your purpose in life, you have to stay inside the lines. you got to focus your gaze on Jesus. But that doesn't mean that life will be easy. There will be challenges. You will be tempted to run away just as the Hebrew Christians were. When it happens, finally, you have to take the cure. You have to take the cure. And you say, what is the cure to these challenges? Hebrews 12.3, it says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, what do you notice about this verse? It assumes that all Christians will at times get tired. We are all running a marathon, so weariness is expected. Even the strongest Christians can experience a spiritual depression at times. In fact, if you're a college student today, a graduate, uh, you can even feel that way during college. Is that you today? Are you struggling your way through the Christian life? I mean, perhaps you're experiencing opposition. Your job is demanding, and you're the only Christian there. Your health is failing Your relationships are filled with strife, or you're lonely. You're striving to run that race that's marked before you. You want to live with purpose, but you're just tired, and you say, is there a cure? Is there some medication for what I'm feeling? Yes. And the secret sauce is found in that word consider. It says consider him. Now, initially, it might seem like, well, that's the same thing he just said in verse 2. 
where we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, but there's actually a different Greek word that's used here. It's the Greek word analogizomai, which is an accounting term. It's where we get our English word logistics from. And what it does is it has the sense of logging something or keeping a record. In other words, what the author is saying is this. When you feel weary, when you're tired, when you, you don't think you can keep running the race, you gotta, you got to stop, you got to take account, you got to meditate on the life and death of Jesus. Take stock of what he did because when he went to the cross, it was, oh my gosh, it was so much worse. And he did it for us. So don't grow weary and lose heart. And that's what the author's saying here, friends. Here's the, here's the truth. You will get tired on your race, but you don't have to lose heart. You will get tired, but you don't have to lose heart. So this passage began by showing us that we all have a race that we're going to run. All of us in this room are at different legs of this journey. So let me just bring it home as we wrap up here. Let me speak first to the college graduating seniors and young adults here today. Your race is just beginning. If you don't have a good pair of shoes, you need to get one. You have energy, you have optimism, you have a blank slate. As you start your race, don't run too fast because you're going to get tired. The Christian life is a marathon. Don't be surprised when challenges come your way. Don't be shocked when that teenage metabolism right, fades away and life is harder in those moments, you still have to look to Jesus. You will get tired. You don't have to lose heart. For those of us in the middle age leg of this journey, of this race, I suspect many of you are tired. Your responsibilities are greater. More people want your time. The demands of work and family are difficult to manage. You say, sleep? What is that? You may even feel like you don't have time to spend with Jesus. Well, I just, I want to encourage you today, no matter what, fix your eyes on him. You will get tired, but you don't have to lose heart. Amen. And for those of us that are older, some of us may think that we've run our race and we're done. You're approaching the finish line and it's just tempting to stop. Well, no matter how old you are, God is not done with you. He has a race marked out for you, and that race is not done until you see Jesus face to face. Mm -hmm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You will get tired, but you do not have to lose heart. So we began today by asking the question, what is God's will for your life? What's my purpose? God has something for each of us, and to discover that purpose, we need to stay inside the lines, we got to focus our gaze, and we need to take the cure. All runners need some good running shoes. What do your shoes say about you? We each have a unique story, but we are all called to pursue Jesus no matter how tired we may be. We need to run hard. We need to run closer to him. And when we do that, the clearer life will be. How do we do that? Well, let me close with a story from Luke's gospel in chapter 24. Well-known story. After Jesus is crucified, Luke tells us of two downcast disciples who are on the road to a town called Emmaus, right? They were weary, they were sad, but little did they know that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they don't recognize him when he comes up alongside them, and that's, that's how Jesus comes to us, right? He comes to us when we're discouraged and we're tired and we're running this race. He runs up right alongside us and starts talking to us, and we don't even recognize it. 
And they tell him, these, these disciples, that the Messiah has been killed and they're really sad. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus talks to them and he points them to the scriptures. And he tells them, it says, all the things concerning himself. And then they arrive at their destination and Jesus reveals himself to them and then he disappears. And despite this disappearance, the disciples are then encouraged and they're strengthened because they were so close to him. What did they say in verse 32? It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Amen. Because you see, the cure of a weary heart is a burning heart. When was the last time your heart was burning within you because you were close to Jesus? So if you want to know your purpose in life, if you want to know God's will, you need to get so close to Jesus that your heart burns. You will get tired, but you don't have to lose heart because Jesus has endured and overcome this world. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me invite the worship team on stage for one song before we recognize our graduates. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for these words of Hebrews chapter 12. Lord, we know each of us are running a race, and our races are in many ways the same, but in many ways different, Lord God. And I, I pray for my friends who are out there in the audience, who are watching at home, who are listening later on. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to grow weary and lose heart. Even though we're tired, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to stay inside the lines as we run. Help us to keep our, our gaze focused on you. Let us take the cure that is the gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your love and your power. You are amazing. Lift our eyes up to you, and we plus, place our faith and trust in you today. I pray that for myself and for everybody here today in Jesus' name, amen.